A reading from the Gospel according to John. As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say, We see, your sin remains. The word of God for the people of God. Gracious and holy God, come among us with your love and peace and the challenge of your word. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This morning at our first service, we ordained and installed a new class of elders and deacons to elected leadership in your church. And so today I'm going to talk a little bit about church and I'm going to begin with my favorite joke about church. I know I've told this during a sermon before, but it's been a number of years, so I trust that for some of you it will be new material. There are these two gentlemen who find themselves in the same train car on a trip from London to Glasgow. One of them is a joyful, ebullient Scotsman. The other one is a dour, grumpy Englishman. And the Scotsman 
keeps trying to draw the Englishman into conversation about any number of topics, football or family or the weather, and is having no success at all. The Englishman continues to pull his copy of the London Times closer and closer in front of his face. Until finally the Scotsman loses patience and shouts at him, Sir, I'm just trying to engage in some polite conversation. What is the problem? And the Englishman says to him, Well, sir, if you must know, I do not like Scotland. It's cold, and it's wet, and it's full of Presbyterians. <laughs> to which the Scotsman delightfully laughs and says, Well, sir, I'll tell you what you ought to do then. I think you ought to go straight to hell. Because in hell, it's hot, and it's dry, and there are no Presbyterians at all. <laughs> Today we install and ordain a new class of elders and deacons, so it seemed like a good day to make you feel good about being Presbyterian. And that's what we're going to talk about. We're also going to talk a little bit about what being Presbyterian means anyway. Perhaps people sometimes ask you what it means that you go to a Presbyterian church and you're not sure that you have a good answer. I hope something in these next few minutes will be of help to you. I will be preaching through this sermon with reference to the story that comes to us this morning in the Gospel of John in the ninth chapter, the story of Jesus and a man born blind. This story is written at some length, like the one that I told last week, also from the Gospel of John. I encourage you to go home and read John chapter 9, read this story at its full length. It is a beautiful story full of sharp wit and interesting things to think about, and I commend it to you. This morning I'm going to focus on the main idea of the story. As the story goes, Jesus and the disciples meet a man who has been blind from birth. The disciples assume that his blindness must be some kind of a punishment for sin, and they want to know who was at fault, this man or his parents. Jesus does not take the bait. He does not believe the man's blindness to be a curse or a punishment for sin. That's not how God works. And we will find that this man who happens to be blind has important and amazing gifts of his own, chief among them that he is able to show others the extent to which they cannot see. Now this is not the best story for affirming the gifts of the blind and visually impaired. I also think it's fair to say that it can be quite an oppressive circumstance, even in today's world, to be unable to see. And certainly, that was the case in Jesus' time. So in this ancient story, the plot advances when Jesus goes ahead and gives this man his sight. And that opens up a whole new set of questions in the story. Some people want to know why Jesus performed this miracle on the Sabbath day. They are out to get him. They're trying to catch him in a violation of the Mosaic law. Others try to verify 
whether the man who is now walking around with his sight is the man who they previously saw blind. And still others run around town looking for verification of what they think by seeking out his parents or interviewing strangers on the street. And meanwhile, not much of anyone seems impressed by the miracle. So caught up are all of them in trying to be the one who is wisest. And we as readers, as John winds out the plot of this story, we as readers start to see the point Jesus makes at the end that all of these naysayers are trying so hard to be clever, but the man who was born blind is the only one in the story who can see. It is a great story with all kinds of convicting applications for people like you and me who need reminders in life of the ways in which we are blind. But what the heck does it have to do with being Presbyterian? Four things I will share with you today, and I will share these four things with some things along the way for the history buffs among us, and also some words about why it is still worth being Presbyterian today for you and for me. And the point will be that being Presbyterian, when we do it right, is, to, is supposed to keep us from being blind. The first principle I will lift up for you is that Presbyterians are supposed to read the Bible and be guided by its wisdom, not by our own. Now this may seem like an obvious thing to say and something that should be common to all Christians. Let me locate it for you in the history of the church. Many of you will remember from your history classes that 500 years ago there was this thing called the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther, most famously, but also people like John Calvin and John Knox, the fathers of the Presbyterian Church, they <clears throat> questioned the authority of the Roman Catholic Church, and history underwent a profound season of change. The Reformers, many of whom became what we now call Presbyterian, the Reformers thought that if, if the Church was going to believe or do something, it should be because the Bible clearly tells us so. This had all kinds of implications 500 years ago, from doing away with the idea of purgatory to limiting the authority of priests. The Reformers said that those things were not grounded in Scripture. Today, Presbyterians still look to the Bible to determine what we are going to believe and do, and this has many practical implications. Think about questions people ask about church. Should the church discuss political and social issues, or should we just stick to talking about spiritual things? Do we spend time as a church socializing, making music together, sharing meals, or should we just stick to worship and prayer? Is the church supposed to love people who are from other faith traditions, or should we care the most about the people who worship like we do? 
And you can imagine there being plenty of debate on any one of these issues and many others. The point is this, for Presbyterians, the answer should not come from one's personal preferences, but from what the Bible leads us to believe and do. That is our tradition. Of course, if you have heard more than a few sermons from this pulpit, right now you may be thinking, okay, Adam, but I've heard you disagree with the Bible quite a lot. Sounds like you're not much of a Presbyterian. Well, that may be true, but it brings me to point number two. The Presbyterian Church has a constitution, a set of guidelines that shape Presbyterian thinking. One of the most important things it says is that we are not only reformed according to the practices of those people who lived 500 years ago, we are called to be always reforming ourselves. In order to avoid the very problems with church authority we originally rebelled against, Presbyterians are supposed to think critically and be willing to change in our thinking about the Bible and the church. Our Constitution also says this, that God alone is Lord of the conscience, meaning that individually, as an act of faith, we should ask critical questions about what we are going to believe and do. So, Presbyterians take the Bible seriously. Yes, we do. And doing so requires thoughtful discernment and the willingness to have your heart and your mind and your personal convictions changed. Now, these first two things that I've told you, that Presbyterians take the Bible seriously and that we're supposed to be thoughtful about it, they necessarily lead to a third point. Among well-meaning, thoughtful people, there is bound to be disagreement. So this is the third thing I wish to share with you. Presbyterians get to disagree. In fact, our church's constitution clearly states it. I quote, There are truths with respect to which people of good character may differ, and we are therefore to exercise mutual forbearance toward one another. Presbyterians get to disagree. In fact... We hope that doing so makes us wiser and less likely to suffer from spiritual blindness. Now, this part of our tradition makes perfect sense if you consider the history. The Reformation took place in Europe 500 years ago. The Presbyterian Church took shape in that era when France and then Scotland and then the American colonies were all about this grand experiment we call representative democracy. That history is a part of who we are as a church. Presbyterians have a constitution. And like so many other entities that do, this is designed so that people can disagree and continue to live together in a community they share. When we do this right, Presbyterians have something very important to contribute to our culture today. Consider this. 
Most folks in our consumer-driven culture come to church expecting that they will like everything and they will agree with everything, and when they do not, they find someplace new to go to church. It is an attitude so pervasive, there is a name for it. We call it church shopping. And I suspect that few Christians of any stripe really believe in church shopping, but I hope you will see that Presbyterians go one step further than that. Our very way of governance is opposed to it. We are expected to disagree. And when we do disagree, we're supposed to stick around. An example? Like many churches, Presbyterians make decisions and take actions and publish policy statements on matters ranging from communion to racism to abortion. But almost every time we do, be it at the top of the pyramid in the National General Assembly or here at Knox on your church's session, there is almost always someone who is part of that decision and did not agree. And many of you may disagree as well, and we love you for it. And unlike other churches, be they Catholic with a statement from the Pope or non-denominational with a headstrong lead minister, when you disagree in the Presbyterian church, we don't expect you to keep your head down and your mouth shut. You can disagree out loud here, and we will still love you because it is a part of who we are. The last thing I will say is less a historical doctrine and more of a personal observation. It has to do with why I choose to be Presbyterian. I know our theology and our governance and our history, and I know that there are a number of places along the way where Presbyterians have been on the wrong side of history. But in the longer view, following biblical study and disagreement and debate, it has usually been the case that when Presbyterians make a decision, in the end, love wins. The compassion of Christ, the willingness to forgive, a genuine interest in being honest about our faults and willing to change, leads us to do and say the loving thing. And that, for me, is what it means to be Presbyterian. And so, on this day, when we have invited a new class of elders and deacons to lead you as elected people, and with the reminder that that opportunity is open to all of you, I say this. Go home and read carefully the full length of John chapter 9, the story of Jesus and the man born blind. Accept this challenge that God has put before us, that we should not be caught in blindness, but be open to the truths God wants us to see, and that that is how we should lead the church God has entrusted to our care. Look for wisdom and guidance first in the Bible as you lead. Pay attention to your conscience. Be willing to be changed in your views when God reveals something new. Value disagreement. And know that we will never be perfect, but trust that God will cause love to win. 
do those things. And consider yourself blessed that once a week you get to come here to this place and worship God. For there are many other places you may go and many other ways that there are to worship. But do not forget that this one is like heaven. Because this one is full of Presbyterians. (laughs) Amen.